Chapter 11 The Proposition A cruiser approached Talith, captained by an OWLF called Bound Trohim, a Barodian, the dominant species of the planet commonly known in the Metroplexus Barrett 12. If he were human, he would have had a very dapper and gentlemanly nature. Barrett 12 was a ringed planet, with a sun that was smaller than the Earth's, but Barrett 12 orbited closer to it. As a Barodian, Bountrohine was bipedal, and pretty much all his physical features were humanoid. But where humans have white scleras, Bountrohines were a brilliant blue with pearl-like pupils. There were varying pupil colors, but they also have varying colors of sclera. Their noses weren't as protrusive as humans. Their skin was like faint flexible turquoise. Their hair was human-like, but each strand carried more color variants. Bound Trohin wore his short and well-groomed to exude a more professional appearance. He received a cyborg's incoming message over his holocom. You are entering our sky space. Zoned by Volkmul. Cease your current heading. Control, this is Bound Trohin. I've got a project that's got Volkmul's name written all over it. I'd like to meet with him to pitch my proposal. There's no interest in your proposal here. The cyborg told him, reverse your heading. Now wait a minute, protested Trohin. I've come all this way to see Volkmul because what I've got is too good to not discuss with him in person. Now I understand it's informal to just show up unannounced, but I didn't know how else to contact the man. Besides, I thought he might appreciate the gesture of me demonstrating such an effort to seek his audience. Reverse your heading or your ship will be destroyed, the cyborg warned, unimpressed. Very well then said Bound Trohin in disappointment. I would have preferred to do business with Volkmul than Voldemisit. Bound Trohin then found himself in a meeting with Volkmul, listening to his proposal. Bound Trohin activated a hologram. This moon is known in my culture's astronomy as Ospin, Trohin told him. It's a turbulent, tempest-ridden system with lakes of Tenolium. Well, if you're wanting a grant to build a resort there, then the answer is no, says Volkmul. Bountrohine laughed. Of course not, Governor, of course not. I want to do a service to the industrialized Metroplex. Many territories are complaining about the pollution, the price of energy, blah, blah, blah. Well, I'm here to present a solution. Really? Asked Volkamul. Do tell. Governor, underneath those turbulent lakes lies the cleanest and most powerful source of energy in the galaxy. Since I have you in mind as the principal endorser of this project, I call them the Kamulian Crystals. Volkamul scoffed. If they're as powerful as the smoke you're blowing, I'll take that as a compliment. That they are, Governor, that they are. And I can back up that claim with an examination of my ship. They convened in the engine room of Trohin's ship. This is actually the safest and best way to examine the crystal because the housing that it's in keeps the energy of the crystal from radiating a disrupting field that would have the same effect as an EMP. Trohin had one of his crew remove a panel, and Bound Trohin pointed to a casing of about one cubic foot. That, Governor, is the power core of my ship. I'm sure you can appreciate the power needed for an intergalactic cruiser, much more dense and concentrated power than what you've been using. Imagine, if you will, I am imagining something, Volkmul said as he studied the prospect. I'm imagining Kamulian crystals powering my new galactic order. Well, yes, Governor, 
But I was thinking more towards the environment. You're thinking more towards wealth, said Volkmul. You came to me with this proposal because the job risk warrants a very high pay scale and high liability costs. Bountroheen then interjected. I must say that for whatever reasons or expense, this is a source of power that shouldn't be overlooked. Volkmul cut him short by cutting to the bottom line. You want slaves. I want slaves, yes. Without even trying to deny it, you want slaves that can work well in submerged conditions, like the Talithians, continued Volkmul. Bountroheen responds exuberantly. I want slaves that can work well in submerged conditions, yes. And money is no object for the units I need. We've examined this species before. They're superbly adapted for submerged labor. The money I would make selling you slaves would be peanuts compared to the profits of selling this energy source without paying for the labor, said Volkmul. Well, of course, Governor, the percentage of profits I would cut to you would... You mean the percentage I would cut to you, Volkmul corrected. Bountrohim found himself being a little extra careful at this point. Well, Governor, as the founder of this project, I can assure you we can negotiate a handsome per... I don't negotiate for what I can take, Volkmul asserted. You're now the superintendent of this operation, and I am now its owner. If you care about the environment of the systems as much as you profess, then you won't mind the reward of feel-goodism, while I collect the reward of revenue. Volkmul then addressed the cyborg. Sentry, tell your centurion I want 100 cargo ships on standby, and 100,000 of these captives ready for transport immediately. Yes, sir, the cyborg responded. Talithian males were marched aboard a large cargo ship. None dared to resist, as the cyborgs had females and children at gunpoint. Bountrohim was with Volkmul outside of one of the cargo ships. I may need a little more time than what you're giving me, Governor. I'll be sending a cyborg motivation squad to keep you on schedule, Trohim. Of course, Governor. Bountrohim boarded his ship. The cargo fleet activated their repulsor engines and rose. Afterburners are heated, and the large ships loaded with Talithians roared for orbit, then scrolled through hyperspace. Malachi was training Simeon in a sparring session in one of the Ark's many courtyards. Tranquil retreats from the reality that there's not much between them and the life-freezing vacuum of space. Malachi didn't really use kid gloves with the young Nephilim. It's okay. He was a gifted fighter. The exchange stopped with a hard kick to Malachi's leg. Ow! Malachi howled, reaching for the sting on his leg, courtesy of Saman. Oh, come on, Colonel. You didn't hear me crying when you were tossing me around. I wasn't crying, said Malachi as he limped toward the bench. I was just trying to boost your confidence. Yeah, right, Simeon said as he followed Malachi. They sat on the bench. Sorry about your leg, Simeon told him. I don't sweat it, said Malachi, and then muttered as he looked the other way. Little ankle biter. What? Simeon asked. Nothing. You're, you're getting much better. Good enough to be issued a cinder blade? Simeon asked. Uh, we'll see, said Malachi, knowing that wouldn't suffice as an answer. Well, how much better do I have to get? Asked Simeon, who, after all, did land the kick that made the great Malachi have to sit down. How well you fight doesn't get you a cinder blade, Sims. You gotta be clear on what it is you're fighting for. And what you're fighting for has to meet Big Daddy's approval. But I can fight though, right? Solicited Simeon. Yeah, you can fight, humored Malachi. Thank you, 
So um, how does it work anyway? Well, to understand how the center blade works, you got to understand who you are and what you are. Your mother undoubtedly was very beautiful in every sense of the word. She had to be. An angel took her for his wife. Your father is an agent of God, the power that gives purpose to the universe. Thus, you've inherited deeper access to the potential of your internal universe. In short, you have superhuman abilities. Are we made up much different than humans? Asked Samayan. Not really, just much more durable. Our bodies are able to withstand far more of a release of potential that a human's post-eaten body isn't ready for. The signals we could kick out would practically make all their tendon origin points fry before their muscle even contracted. Samayan absorbed Malachi's insights while moving a large rock across the courtyard with telekinesis. We can move things from a distance, he says. Can humans do that too? Telekinesis? Probably, answered Malachi. And that's one of those things humans have yet to discover. Every organism generates electricity and like anything else has a gravitational field. As Nephilim, we can actually control these aspects of ourselves. Simeon started piecing it together. So we have the ability to manipulate our gravitational field, to draw objects close to us, and even reverse the polarity of it to repel objects. And we have the ability to control our electromagnetic field too? That is correct, Malachi affirmed. Which brings me to the cinder blade. Malachi used telekinesis to draw the handle of his cinder blade that was sitting on his training bag across the courtyard. He caught the handle and told Simeon, the weapon carried by our fathers is the flaming sword. And they made an adaptation of that for us. It can only be made by angels and it can only be unmade by angels. He extended the blade from the handle without igniting it. Wow, that's it? That's the blade? Simeon asked. Yep, it's a telescopic blade that segments to immaculate precision. Malachi used telekinesis to draw fruit from a tree in the courtyard. He nonchalantly lifts the blade, and the fruit passed over it into his hand. He handed Saman half of the sliced fruit, and then continued. So on a side note, if the time comes, it'll be an angel who'll issue a cinder blade to you. It won't be me. You mean when the time comes, Saman said. Sorry, I meant when the time comes. That's better, says Saman. So what makes it glow? Okay, you know that electric field you got? Yeah, the handle houses a powerful amplifier. When I extend my electric field into it, it gets amplified, conducted through the blade, and heats it high enough to ignite the air around it. Malachi demonstrated as the blade flashed and glowed plasmatic. That's so cool. Wait a minute. If cinder blades are made by angels for the Nephilim, then how did the warlocks get theirs? There's still angels in heaven that are sympathetic to the Confederacy. They secretly assist the warlocks. How do you keep secrets from God? You can't keep secrets from God, Malachi told him. But God won't keep free will from you. If there are those wanting to use their free will to conspire against God and his angels, then so be it. God trusts his loyalists, whom he calls the sons of God, to be able to deal with the rebellious. Trust me. Those angels who thought they could pull one over God's kingdom are ultimately in for a rude awakening.